Hey, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thanks for joining us. I'm very excited to bring you a brand new interview with Steve Wynn today, along with an important conversation with Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. I'll say more about that in a few minutes. Also, we're happy and very privileged to be joined by Bob Goodlatte, Representative Goodlatte. He's chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, introduced legislation about DACA, and uh, that's much in the news. So we'll have a good conversation with Chairman Goodlatte as well. But first, let me give you some thoughts of my own. Um, We have some uh, really good guests today. It's a very thoughtful and serious conversation. But I want to get something off my chest, a little more lighthearted, but it's something that really bugs me. And since I need somebody to pound on, I've asked Chris Beach to join me. Uh, because I don't know if he has any responsibility for these things. But we've just finished all the Christmas cards. Well, we haven't at our house. Yeah, that's... We're yeah. still mailing. But but our card stands out if you get it in February or March. <laughs> anyway, it's okay. But I'll tell you why. Mrs. Bennett does a personalized note on every card. God bless says. her, she does. Did, does she? She does, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. All right. But I want to... I'm wondering on these holiday newsletters, what are these crazy things? I mean, you open it up. First of all, there's like 14 people. The last time you thought of the family, you thought it was like three people, you know, a husband, a wife, a a kid, and a dog, you know. And all of a sudden, it's expanded to 14 people. I mean, some people, their kids go out and they're married, a lot of other kids. But they all look fabulous in these pictures. And I understand the posing. I mean, I really don't care how I look in a picture. But some people care more than others. I'll be careful here. But these newsletters about, you know, Bunkum and Ransom and, 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 and Dukas <laughs> and Dorcas and, you know, here's the thing that bugs me about it. Everything over the course of the last year has gone smooth as butter. Just, you know, the trip to Hong And they're all going to fabulous. They're going to Hong Kong. They're going to Paris, <laughs> studying at the Sorbonne. Little Bittner was admitted to Harvard and... <laughs> but turned it down to go to Memphis State. Now, you know, it's just, and I just don't believe this stuff. But you go on and on. And then in the middle of all of it, you get into some long digression about, but the cat still won't jump into Uncle Pop's, you know, Papa Papa Joe's lap. And why do I read these things? Beach, explain yourself. Well, it, well explain myself. I, one, I don't send these newsletters out or write but them. But you get them. But I get them. And some of these pictures, people are just kind of glowing off the page. Yeah. They're just, you know, they're just, there's one, one picture of one family that is so blonde, you almost have to put sunglasses, <laughs> you know, to look at, the, at their Christmas card. And everyone is gorgeous. Of course. You know, did but, you see that things going around the internet of somebody who photoshopped and they ended up with all these totally sort of horrible monster like photoshop faces and it got sent out and it got sent out oh yeah, boy yeah, yeah. go ahead go well ahead. one this is kind of a microcosm of social media in that people only post stuff that's good about themselves these oh, okay. days okay. but you're totally right these newsletters are, are ridiculous i mean even families you've known extremely yeah. well for a long time you read these things and you're like i know that's not true like little johnny probably ran his car into a telephone pole this yeah. year Sarah didn't get admitted to any of the colleges she wanted to go right. to. You know all this stuff about the family, and yet you read the newsletter, and none of that's in there. Yeah. Why not an honest one? Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting year. Uh, George and I have bickered daily. <laughs> I even got to throwing some plates at him and a rolling pin. And uh, little Shumkus, uh, you know, just can't stay out of the police station, you know, 
And boy, if I find more beer in that room and more marijuana butts, I'm going to go crazy. You know, none of that. It's I mean, it's this stuff of, oh, we had such a, the crews went fab. Who are, who are these people? Is this anyway? I, I just it's not real life. It's it, it, it's a fabrication. Yeah, but but I think the point, the intention of it is to make you feel bad. Like, dear reader, we don't know what kind of crappy life you have, <laughs> but boy, did we don't know what happened to you in 2017. But for us, man, we were just you know gangbusters. I just I, I have I have Mrs. Bennett read them to me, and I just break out laughing i just i just think they're they're hilarious well you should do a real life version that would probably go viral you think miss bennett would let me send one no in? no yeah well cracked up the car again. <laughs> <laughs> you know couldn't get the smell out of the back seats it's, yeah. sunny was back there for a full four hours you know all right anyway uh holiday letters don't send them no do send them to me because it gives me some great material anyway um Anyway, we got a lot of great Christmas cards, and it is it, a Christmas card is a way to be reminded of people, isn't it? It is. It is good. But it should just be a photo and, if, and a personalized note. And like how about Bennett, Merry Christmas? Yes, but, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I don't want to get sound like I'm, you know, the war against Christmas. I mean, but Merry Christmas is fine. Now, for us, since we run a little late, we could do Merry Christmas and Happy St. Patrick's Day, Happy Valentine's Day, and have a blessed Easter. <laughs> Depending seasons when, greetings. Depending on when you get all seasons greetings to you all year. But uh, listen, I think the fact that Mrs. B does these private and these personal notes on them is amazing. So good for her. All right, folks, that's my rant for the day. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Okay, okay. The other thing, I, I just was thinking of this. I was thinking of making a feature commercials on TV because I pay a lot of attention to commercials because during football season I watch a lot of TV. After football season I won't watch any. Um, I mean I'll have Fox on in the background but but um, these Geico commercials. I mean that Geico commercial where they're playing um, Pictionary with the, yeah, with the sloth. And the sloth. And they, he's doing the, that's a, that's a real sloth isn't it? He's doing a coin slot it looks like a, it's just a one thin line and it's a tandem bicycle, yeah. but it's a sloth. And the guy, they pitch it perfectly. And the guy says, what? Are you kidding me? What? Because you got 10 seconds. And the guy on the other team says, not a chance. <laughs> not, a, not a chance. But some of these commercials are uh, are brilliant. They really are. They really are very funny. The Geico ones seem to be really funny. And there's somebody else who does really funny. The other, the other ones that I that crack me up are the DirecTV ones where they oh, yeah. talk about some people still like cable, like yeah. some people enjoy. Yeah, getting, and yeah, it's like go, getting your seat kicked yeah. in an airplane when they have this kid right, is, in the kid, back who's yeah, just smiling. Smashing, yeah. Smashing as hard that as he can. younger guy, yeah. yeah. Those are pretty good. Yeah, no, those are good. Those are funny. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, okay, that's it. Um, let's get to some serious business. And this is serious business. Uh What's the line from Anthony and Cleopatra? Our graver business frowns at this levity. We don't frown at the levity. We enjoy the levity. Well, let's move on. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. I'm excited to bring you a brand new conversation today with Steve Wynn. He's chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts, and he's the finance chair of the Republican National Committee. Steve worked hard behind the scenes to help get tax reform across the finish line. So it's a privilege to talk to him about it today. He's also setting even more fundraising records at the Republican National Committee. 
Here's our conversation. We're here, folks, we're here again with Steve Wynn, CEO and Chairman of Wynn Resorts, and it's a great opportunity to talk to you again, Steve. Since we last talked, Republicans passed tax reform. I'll just leave it there and let you go. Hallelujah. (laughs) What about it? What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, what it means is so much more incredibly important than the publicity so far has indicated. The Democrats uh, realizing that this tax bill would create a tsunami of growth and expansion, and that wouldn't be good for them in terms of you know pure political com- competition. They went all out to, to demagogue and to misrepresent, to blatantly lie about what this tax bill was and what it was not. Well, with the hopes of shaking a Republican or two loose and having it stall as health care reform did. Well, it didn't work, and the bill passed, and the president signed it. What it means is this. The new tax bill has the effect of a tsunami on the economy of our country. You can't explain in terms that are more dramatic that this bill is not only the first thing of its kind in 30 years, but this bill will impact this country in ways that are overwhelming. We'll start with something simple. Every single person that works for me is going to get an increase in their take-home pay. Really? Every single person that works for me, with the exception of a few guys like me who are in the you know higher tax brackets are deductions aren't going to change. The uh, top tax rate is going to change by two points, but I get a tax increase because of other things yeah. in the bill that, yeah. that with, you know, because I have a home and a place in New York or L.A. and yeah. it's not deductible. Yeah. But to uh, where it counts, with people that make less than $500,000 a year. You bet. Every single person is getting a tax cut. Do they know it? Your employees? Not yet, it? but okay. they will because we're going to send letters in in the week after next we didn't wait for the irs to put out the new uh, schedules we calculated all of our employees one by one and then we went back to january 1st and we're going to catch up what from the old schedules the money that was deducted uh, from their paychecks was from the old law but in january the new law was in effect so now we're going to make play catch up and put the money from January back into their take home pay in the first paycheck in two weeks. Wow. And I'm going to write a personal letter to every one of my employees explaining the tax bill, what it means to them. But it has a, a, a profound effect on all of them in other ways. This town is dedicated to tourism. And when you put more discretionary income in the hands of the American people, then they're going to be more apt to go to conventions and and to vacation. Number two, by cutting the corporate rate to 22% and coupling that with accelerated depreciation, where if you buy a piece of equipment, a truck, a computer, new or used, you get to write it off in the first year, that single effect is a thermonuclear event in terms of companies Mm -hmm. spending money and giving vendors and creating jobs. We've never, in in my recent life, I've never seen anything like this. And its impact 
will be felt as we go through the spring and the summer. You're going to see an economic boom in this in this country. Uh, it's one of the reasons why the Democrats were so hysterically against it. Yeah. Because it's going to create a uh, uh, a countercurrent politically. Usually the party of the incumbent president in the midterm election goes backwards. For every one of the local elections in America, every congressional district, all 435 of them, and for the 34 Senate races where Democrats are at risk and Republicans running for re-election or for first terms, they're going to stand up with all of the baloney and lying and all of the usual crap that goes on on, on speeches. Every candidate's going to stand up and say to the people who vote, look at your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got more money. The government got off your back and trusted you with the money instead of taking it away to Washington. And every single one of the Democrats didn't want you to have that money. Yeah. There is, there's no yeah. way for the Democrats to hide from what they did. So this prediction of the tsunami in uh, November, maybe not, right? The Democrat tsunami. The political impact of the tax bill was just like Donald Trump, the Democrats' worst nightmare. They didn't want that tax bill. Yeah. Because, you know, the Democrats have always bribed the American public with their own money. All of a sudden, the Republicans are doing it. Why, it's unheard of. What right do those Republicans have to steal our trick, say the Democrats? <laughs> and their, their passion to defeat it was a result of the, is a direct relation to their fear of it. Let me, let me ask you, because you understand these things better than I. First of all, I want to make an observation. You were nothing if not consistent. I asked you about the tax cut. It took you about 40 seconds to get to your employees, your most favorite people in the world, the people who work That's with right. you. And That's it's, right. It's always, it's always That's close. what made me a Republican. It's always close to the top of your mind. That's great. I, I was uh, privileged to be on a call shortly after it passed with two guys you know, Steve Moore and Larry Kudlow, and they were answering questions. And I don't know a lot about this stuff. I said, everybody's talking about the reduction for uh, in tax rates for individuals. But what about the corporate reduction in the long run, which will have more effect? They said, uh, Larry at least said, he thought the corporate. And what you talked about, the, the what was it that you were talking about before, the carryover, the tsunami, the thermonuclear. The, the, the one-year depreciation. The one-year depreciation. Look, I don't understand I'll, that. I'll explain it Okay. A company makes money, and they give Uncle Sam the corporate tax, whether it's 22 or 35. It used to be 35. Okay. But if you bought, if you needed to build a new office, decorate a new shop, buy a new truck, get a, get a new computer, do anything that involved a capital investment, you could write off and take deduct from your income that was taxable the a percentage, a current percentage of the life of the asset. If it was a truck, it would probably be eight years, five years. If it was a computer, it might be shorter. If it was a building, it would be longer. But you could take one-tenth or one-twentieth of the cost of your building as a deduction. That's called depreciation. And it reduced your taxable income, which meant the government was paying 35% of it. Now, but you had to do it over the life of the asset. There were exceptions where you would accelerate a little. 
but it was over a long period of time. What the Republican tax bill did was it said that we want to we want to get all of our companies up to speed. We want all equipment to be new. We want our companies to be competitive. Therefore, we want them to be able to modernize their equipment and to up and get what they need. But they can use the government's money to do it because we're going to let you write off 100% of the cost of what you buy against this year's income. I see. Now, do you understand when you tell somebody that, let's say that a guy made a million dollars and was paying uh, two or three hundred thousand dollars in corporate tax now he could take that two or three hundred thousand and buy a new build a new shop he can buy a new equipment and he's using the government's money yeah uncle sam in this tax bill has made a major statement that they trust the american people personally and in terms of their businesses as well as managing their own lives more than they do the bureaucrats in washington yeah if you're a bureaucrat in washington and if you're a democrat that's dedicated to that system bring the money to washington and we'll give it out to our friends this was just the opposite well if any of your friends are skeptical of tax reform and what its benefits will be play this interview for them folks another master class from steve it's always a privilege to speak with him you're listening to the bill bennett show we are pleased honored and delighted uh, to be joined by bob goodlatte Congressman for Virginia, 6th District, Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Bob Goodlatte, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Mr. Secretary, it is always a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. What is the story? You're stepping down? You've only been there like four or five years, haven't you? I said I'd stay for 12 years, and I'm going on 26. Oh, my gosh. One chairmanship has led to another, and uh, it is a great uh, experience a great honor, but for 25 years I've talked to my wife on the phone Monday through Thursday nights, yeah. and I've always wanted to do something else. Yeah. So I'm going to go do it. My chairmanship ends at the end of this year. We got a lot of things to do, uh, including getting yeah. our yeah. borders secure uh, and our immigration laws uh, respected, uh, and do something about uh, yeah. the DACA recipients. Yeah, and, I know uh, that's what we're hard at work on now. I know that's what we want to talk about, but I didn't want the moment to go by without expressing on. Half of your constituents who kept putting you back in, and other Americans, given your leadership uh, responsibilities, our gratitude to you for. Well, thank you so much. Very well done. We're big Good Life fans here. Uh, all right, where are we now in this? I mean, there's this debate that's sorted out for us. There's the debate about whether the government will shut down. There's, there's a tie to DACA. There's the legislation you've introduced, um, a sweeping immigration bill. Where are we? Uh, well, case. where we are is a couple of things. The, the president had a very important and successful meeting, which millions of Americans got to see uh, last Tuesday. Uh, and uh, in that meeting, uh, we laid down four areas for negotiations between the House and Senate, between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, uh, the DACA uh, issue the securing of our borders, which the Secretary of Homeland Security and the Chief of Staff of the White House, General Kelly, have made very clear is about more than just uh, a wall, more than just the technology at the border. It involves what happens when people come across that border, they're picked up, and they can't be returned home. There are tons of loopholes in our law uh, that need to be uh, addressed. And then there's chain immigration uh, where someone comes in from another country and then they petition for a whole host of uh, 
not immediate family. We, we keep immediate family members, your spouse and your children, but extended family members who create a chain of immigration. One person can result in bringing in uh, a dozen, two dozen or more people. Uh, and then ending the visa lottery, a crazy system where we draw people's names out of a hat, or really out of a computer, uh, and let 55,000 people come to the United States without any particular skills or education or anything that would help the United States. We need to end that. Uh, and our bill, uh, introduced by myself as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Mike McCall as chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, Raul Labrador, chairman of the Immigration Subcommittee at Judiciary, and Martha McSally, the chairman of the Border Security mm-hmm. Subcommittee mm-hmm. at Homeland Security, Good does just that. Uh, it is a good, strong, conservative bill. It's not a comprehensive bill. doesn't deal with a lot of uh, the legal immigration issues. doesn't ha- take all of the issues that the president and the Secretary of Homeland Security have on their list of uh, enforcement measures uh, and doesn't deal with all of the people uh, who are illegally present in the United States. It deals with making sure that we don't have new people entering the country illegally, and it fulfills uh, the speaker's goal of doing something for the DACA recipients and making sure this does not happen ever again. All right, let's let's get into that uh, quote, quoting you, uh, Chairman. It's going to address DACA in a permanent way, not a temporary or short-term thing, Goodlatte told Mr. Trump. We're going to address the border enforcement security in the wall. Uh, DACA, what about DACA? What, what is the well, proposal DACA, for DACA? Yeah, it's permanent because it allows people who – uh, beat this criteria of having come to the country during a certain time period and below a certain age can stay here permanently in three-year renewable increments. So in other words, it's permanent. You have to reply, apply every three years, but it does not provide a special pathway to citizenship. You'll be lawfully here. You'll be able to work. You'll be able to travel. You can leave the country, come back in the country, but it does not give you a special pathway to citizenship. But if you earn a pathway to citizenship by virtue of uh, an employer or a family relationship, marrying U.S. citizen, for example, uh, you can move toward a green card and toward citizenship. But nothing where these, this group of people are singled out and said, well, you know what, after we take care of this and this, then you will also get a green card. That, to me, uh, is putting people who broke the law ahead of people who sometimes work for years or decades to legally comply, to legally immigrate to the United States. You know, Bill, we are a nation of immigrants. There's no one listening to your program who's a U.S. citizen who can't go back a few generations or many generations who came to the U.S. uh, for better opportunities in most instances. But we're also a nation of laws, and respect for the rule of law is really at stake in this issue, other issues as well, but especially in this issue. Uh, you, you, you You talked about, you mentioned earlier, Chairman, we're going to address Mr. McCall's bill. We're going to address interior enforcement, uh, but not everything that uh, the administration had on its list. We're going to address chain migration. We're going to end the visa lottery program. We're going to address sanctuary cities and cage law. Um, is this, I know that the, the, the phrase has become pejorative, but is this because of the, the, the capaciousness of it uh, a, a kind of comprehensive immigration bill? No, it's not comprehensive because if you wrote a comprehensive immigration bill, it would be many times longer and would cover many other areas in immigration that are not covered by this. It is okay. uh, an attempt to do address the most serious enforcement issues that need to accompany uh, uh, doing okay. something for DACA recipients. 
and okay. again, fulfill the, the speaker and others' request that, and the president's request that we stop this problem from continuing. Yeah. Uh, and so it has things like mandatory electronic verification of employment. Uh, it includes uh, facilitating cooperation with local law enforcement, detaining dangerous individuals rather than releasing them on the street. You know, we have over 200,000 convicted criminal aliens loose on the streets of our country. Uh, because of previous administrations' failure to uh, send them out of this country, we need to detain yeah. them. We need to remove them. Yeah, uh, yeah. it combats asylum fraud. We now have two hundred thousand people on the waiting list claiming asylum in this country. Historically, we've given asylum to five to ten thousand people a year. It's an important principle where people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn were given asylum in this country yes. uh, after escaping from the Soviet Union. But people are now coming in, and if they're stopped, they're simply saying, I have a credible fear of persecution in my home country, and I want asylum. Uh, they can't all be processed, so and they can't all be detained, so they're all released into the interior of the country and told to come back for a hearing in a few years. And guess what? Most of them never do. Right. So, um, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it also... Uh, it uh, makes it easier to remove dangerous criminals. It deals with visa overstays. Forty percent of the people who, uh, and ma- including many DACA recipients, by the way, who are illegally in the country today, came in the country legally and overstayed a visitor's visa, business visa, work visa, uh, all the different types of visas. And uh, that is a serious problem. And so a wall, right. which is important, and bill also contains uh, funding for a partial wall, uh, make it clear to everybody, the president, and certainly not the Congress, not asking for a 2,000-mile-long border wall. We're asking to fix the wall in places where it exists now, several hundred miles of it, and to put it in some new places that are high population and high crime uh, where you need the wall and it is effective. It's not effective out in the middle of the desert or across a mountain range or yeah. um, uh, across yeah. a river. So uh, that's that's what we're attempting to accomplish with that, but once they get across that, and many people do, or they enter legally, as maybe 40% of the people here illegally do, the wall is not an effective tool. We need to have these other loopholes closed in our law. I got you. What's the political prognosis for this? Uh, who's with you? How the votes look? What do you need in the House? What do you need in the Senate? Uh, where's the freedom? I think this is a broad-based caucus? bill that will that will get a lot of support across the spectrum. Uh, of Republicans in the House, maybe maybe a few Democrats. There's a lot of political pressure on them to keep that they they the Democrats simply want uh, a quick fix for DACA, where they get a pathway to citizenship, and they say, well, we'll take care of all these other problems later on. And of course, that's exactly what's happened in the past. And we have got to have the policy changes uh, and the funding to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And we got to do yeah. it now while the public. Uh, is in support of both these things. They want to see something done for DACA recipients, but they also want the rule of law upheld. What about that other branch of Congress? What about the Senate? Ah, that's a that's a, 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 a an interesting subject. But uh, <laughs> that's what you guys always uh, say. I don't when you're being have, kind, you're you're being kind. That's what you guys. Their, always their say. own rules work against them. I don't think they I have know. 60 votes for anything on yeah. this subject. It's very yeah. important to keep it away from spending measures. I think the House will act responsibly. Uh, today and pass a spending uh, measure that will keep the government funded. And we need to deal with this issue, and we need to deal with it expeditiously, but not tied to something else where people can threaten to shut down the government if they don't get their way 
uh, on this issue. That's the wrong thing to do. Our military needs the funding, and we don't need to have um, uh, this issue uh, treated in that fashion. So uh, when we pass this bill through the House, I think that will help uh, to uh, put the measure to the Senate. And I don't want to tell the Senate what to do. They should pass what the bill they think is appropriate, and then we should sit down and negotiate the differences. Sure. And the president has been uh, very helpful on this issue. He uh, has these negotiations going on now. And by the way, this bill, uh, with a with a couple of exceptions, this bill uh, covers the things that the, those negotiations are covering. Okay. There are some who would like to narrow border to just a wall and money for a wall. Yeah. We absolutely will not accept that because, as I've just noted, it doesn't solve the problem. Uh, well, we thank you again, your leadership, and stepping into this thicket that is indeed a thicket. Are we going to have a government shutdown? We're right on the verge of it as we speak, uh, at least a deadline for it. Uh, I hope not. We're working very hard to avoid that. Uh, the, the House Republican leadership doesn't want it. The Senate Republican leadership doesn't want it. The president doesn't want it. Uh, if people do want it, shame on them. They should sit down and work out spending measures, keep the government open, uh, and keep working on this issue separately okay all right well listen we hope we talk to you again before you leave we're sure we will but uh just one thought all i can tell you is i know a lot of my friends guys who've retired they go home you said you, you talk to your wife on the phone you want to be with her one friend of mine uh about my age in his early 70s retired and he went home and he said to his wife first day that's not how you load a dishwasher and she said Get the, heck, get the heck back to work, Buster. You know. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go home and just sit. I am going to do something I know else. I've not. always wanted to do something else. I what are you going to do? I don't know what it is yet. What are you going to do? What do you think? I'm, I'm uh, teach? going to spend the next year. I'm, I've got this job for another year, so I'm going to spend the sure next year uh, thinking about what I want to do and what uh, options are out there to do. But I will try to be contributing uh, to uh, our country and uh, – uh, to our economy and to our children's future in some way. I, I, I do not think I want to just go home and no, no, uh, I'll no, help no. load the dishwasher, but I'll follow my wife's instructions on that. Yeah, and absolutely. Go out and do something else. Well, one thing to do, and I always think of Virginia as a special way, special state as a historian. You know, for, uh, I remember they were talking about a requirement of Virginia state history as well as U.S. history. I remember when I was Secretary of Education, I was asked about it. I said, well, you know, for a good 30 or 40 years, the history of Virginia was the history of the United States. You know, I mean, that's where that's where an awful lot of the best work came from. Let's get it back. Let's it, get it back. It is so it's, true. And that's what blue, we're fighting purple for. status. Uh, what's that? Yeah, we're what's fighting that? for, for yes. the future of Virginia and the future of our country. Yeah, fight for the future of Virginia through some of the past of Virginia. Those folks, how they did that, you know. They just go back and read our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and uh, look at the work of uh, uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and James Monroe. And uh, What's in the water there, sir? What's in the yeah. water there? It's something. I don't know. we got we got to put an extra dose in it now because we're getting <laughs> sure away from do. some of that. Sure do. Thank you, Chairman Goodlatte. Thanks very much, sir. Thank you, Bill, and uh, it's an honor to be with you. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Before we go further in the show, I need to tell you about Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. The experts at Casper work tirelessly to make a quality sleep surface that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. 
After all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Well, at least you're supposed to. I guess the president doesn't, but you're supposed to. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Its breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. Casper now offers two other mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. All Casper products are designed, developed, and assembled in the U.S. Prices are affordable because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. Every Casper mattress is delivered right to your door in a small, how-do-they-do-that-sized box. It's kind of a miracle how they get it all in there. Plus, there's free shipping and hassle-free returns in the U.S. and Canada. Plus, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Here's a special offer to listeners of The Bill Bennett Show. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash bill and using promo code bill at checkout. That's casper.com slash bill and use promo code bill for $50 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Here's the explosive Reuters headline from this week. Trump accuses Russia of helping North Korea evade sanctions. Says U.S. needs more missile defense. Well, that's a big topic and a very important one. Few more important. There's no one better to talk about these issues. No one more expert than Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. I want to ask him about this, other matters in international affairs, domestic issues. We'll review year one of the Trump presidency and how this president has done so far. But let's start with this issue. Welcome back, Brian. Great to be with you, Bill. Good morning. Good morning. Trump accuses Russia of helping North Korea evade sanctions, says U.S. needs more missile defense. I guess, well, there's a lot in there. Uh, What's the connective tissue? What's the connection between Russia helping North Korea and U.S. needing more missile defense? Well, of course, the Russians have been helping the North Koreans all these years and have been allied with North Korea. And there is a genuine axis between the Russians and the Chinese and them helping both North Korea and Iran. And God bless Trump for pointing that out to people. His predecessors would always be very reluctant to say that the Russians and the Chinese were helping these bad actors. Trump is very straight with the American people and with, you know, all the all the swamp in Washington in trying to explain that, in fact, the Russians and the Chinese work together against the United States. I, I know they have historically and have for some time, but we've been hearing a lot about China and its relation to North Korea. Very little about Russia and its relation to North Korea, but that goes back a long time too. Same interests in helping North Korea that the Chinese have, and what are they? Well, the Russians and the Chinese use North Korea as a surrogate against America and the West. Of course, it was the Soviet Union who was helping the North Koreans with the Chinese fight the United States in the Korean War because they saw a strategic interest in doing so. It's much easier to help North Korea do bad things to us 
or Iran do bad things to us than to directly engage. If they directly engage, that's how you have world wars. When you have your surrogates do it, it's a, an easier, once-removed kind of problem. And the Russians and the Chinese are very good at pulling these strings as a way of irritating the United States. Does this also mean, because <clears throat> as we talk about the whole situation in North Korea, whether the U.S. should confront, we're going to go to war with North Korea, people said, well, you'll maybe risk war with China. Are you also risking hostilities with Russia? Yes, you are. But, but almost by definition. Because at any moment, if the Chinese, and the Chinese did say that any, any preemptive attack on North Korea by the United States would be considered a preemptive attack on China itself, and they would respond in kind. Well, you're, you're, a, you're a heartbeat away from the Russians saying, we agree, any attack on our two allies will be an attack on us. What president is going to risk preemptive attack, potentially nuclear attack on North Korea, if you're also going to be engaging in that process, both the communist Chinese and the Russian nuclear force. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then add the piece on, on missile defense. Well, of course, Trump, in a very sensible way, says, and we need more missile defense, because, and he put recently $4 billion more into the missile defense budget, and I think if they spend that correctly, uh, you could build a robust, relatively robust missile defense to negate the North Korean threat that is, has emerged and is emerging. So Trump rightly recognizes that with that extra money, if you build missile defense, we don't have to have a preemptive attack on North Korea. And the last thing the Russians and the Chinese really want us to do is to build that robust missile defense. Okay, and I guess that's for, because that concerns them as well, right? I mean, we don't talk much about Chinese missiles or Russian missiles, but are they so close to North Korea that if we, uh, you know, are engaged with North Korea in conflict that they would conceivably launch missiles at us? That seems, of course, the unthinkable. Right, and so right. No one wants to go there. Uh, How close are they? How important is it? I mean, or do they just use it as a pretext for doing something they've wanted to do for a long time anyway? Well, look, I don't, I don't think the Russians and the Chinese want to engage in nuclear war yeah, okay. with the United okay. States. But they like to use the threat of nuclear war to okay. embarrass a U.S. president, to back him off, to annoy him, to distract him. Because if we're talking about North Korean or Iranian ballistic missiles... We're not talking about Russian and Chinese nuclear missiles aimed at American cities that could kill American children. Yeah, yeah. And we should be talking about that. And Reagan talked about that. And I think Trump understands it that way. He wants to build a missile defense to defend all Americans from well, any threat. How, how will this North Korea thing end or will it end? Will it just keep going on? My guess is it keeps, on, it keeps going on. And having said that, I think Trump is serious about missile defense. Let's trust that he is serious about missile defense. I believe he is. And let's, in the quickest way possible, 
field a missile defense of the kind we can field. There's this new system, which we've talked about before, using uh, unmanned aerial, aerial vehicles uh, that have these interceptors on there that we can put in international waters and be able to shoot down North Korean missiles. If they put the money into that system, I think a year from now, you could have the kind of missile defense that would negate the North Korean threat. And if Trump can get that done in 2018, we're not going to be talking about this in 2019. All right, I was going to ask before you said that last sentence, would he then be subject to his own criticism, just another president who kicked the can down the road? No, it would be different, right? It would be different. A lot of people talk about it. Trump's trying to get it done. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, is he? Is this focus on the right spot? I remember when the a lot of the fleet and the Marines and others were moved to the Far East. Everybody said to pivot out of the mid, out of the Mid East. Um, is that right? In terms of the president's attention in foreign policy, is his attention in the right part of the world? Yes, because with Trump, his attention is everywhere. It's not just the Middle East. It's not just the Far East. His attention is on America and what's good for America. And that is a a refreshing way of looking at the world, too. That he sees that, you know, when I look abroad, if I'm Trump, I'm looking abroad thinking, what can I do abroad that is good for the American people, the American economy? We're a commercial republic. We want to be doing those things abroad that benefit commercially uh, United States citizens. That's that's how I think he looks at the world. And, you know, in the previous administration, when they talk about a pivot to Asia, well, you, you can pivot to Asia, but you have to pivot back to the rest of the world at some point. And it's not just Asia. It's not just Europe. It's everywhere Americans have an interest. Donald Trump himself understands that. He says America first a lot. We've heard this before. Has he been successful in your view here at one year point? I want to ask you for a kind of general view of this, which I'll do in a minute. But um, has he been successful in foreign affairs and international affairs? I think very much so. He uh, He's established in the world that the United States means to defend itself and its people in an unapologetic way. And that, I think, has reestablished in the minds of foreign leaders that the United States is serious again. But we see these reports, I was reading some earlier this week, um, world opinion of the United States, foreign leaders, you know, disappointed, don't like Trump, not welcome in England. Maybe I'm characterizing it by my tone of voice here. But... um, you know, disapproval of the United States and leadership of the United States is high and disapproval at home is high. Uh, do, does that matter? Do we care? Well, one, I don't even buy it. You don't? No. One, I don't. I don't. I think here at home, the the left media is, of course, still hysterical. And I mean, this is we, we've entered an age of the media openly lying and disseminating about nearly everything, and that's not healthy. Abroad, I think most of these foreign leaders are just simply not used to an American president speaking his mind so unapologetically. Yeah. And Trump is uh, going out there and, and telling it like it is, whether it's 
the Muslim problems in Europe and Germany and France and elsewhere and even in England. And they're a little surprised that an American president would be so bold as to actually say that. Okay. And, 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 you know, sort of back mm -hmm. to this Russian mm -hmm. point. Yeah. How many American presidents say the Russians are cheating when it comes to North Korea? Mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that China steps away, Russia steps in. How many people are that transparent? That hasn't happened really since Ronald Reagan, that kind of moral clarity. <clears throat> moral clarity. And, and the juxtaposed with moral clarity was the world really shocked and dismayed and horror-stricken, like Senator Cory Booker was, to hear some countries of the world referred to, possibly referred to in a private meeting, as shitholes or shithouses. I think, I think most Americans look at places like that and even if they don't say it they think it and cory booker of course that's just that's Histriotics. just all yeah, yeah that's just all just fake moralizing he doesn't actually believe those things it's transparently fake too is it they can't anybody see that that's just phony oh, it's in, i think it's embarrassing i do too i, I think yeah. it's embarrassing I, I saw that guy and i thought indecent exposure you know right, of, yeah. your, of your of your you know Right. Of, of the yeah. real kind. Yeah, yeah, that was just shameful. But look, most Americans look at those places in the world and we think, my God, what's happened to these places? And Trump, to be clear, it, it, when he looks at them, he just doesn't want a blanket. We're taking a hundred of those people, wherever they are in the world, a good country or a bad country. We're not just going to take some random number. We want to have a merit-based system where we say, if we're going to take anybody from... Sierra Leone, they better be the best and the brightest of Sierra Leone because we want the best and the brightest from everywhere here in the United States. Yeah. And so doctors, uh, scientists, engineers, people with talents, those are the kind of people he wants to bring in the country, not some random, you know, we'll take your hundred people no matter who they are. That makes no sense. Most Americans agree with that. Yeah, I noticed a lot of people talking about the African countries immediately went to the case of Nigeria. Well, as you know, Nigeria and Nigerian-Americans are extremely successful, great work ethic and so on, and outperform almost every other ethnic group. But they didn't talk about other countries like Central African Republic or Congo or uh, Mali or uh, uh, other places. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people know that they live in, I'll say, terrible, immiserated places. They know that. And that's why their hand is out for help, um, and their ha hand is out to be delivered from it. I mean, that's that's just that's just obvious. So yeah, a lot of this I thought was was, was feigned, feigned shock and outrage. But you give them good grades on, on international affairs. You don't think uh, like the so-called smart people think that the world's become a much more dangerous place be, since he's become president. Well, I think the world's always been a dangerous place. Uh... The difference is Trump's willing to tell people that. He's not willing to gloss over all these problems. When a Muslim terrorist kills Americans, either here at home or abroad, it's not workplace violence for Trump. It's an actual Islamic terrorist attack. And he's willing to say that. And so I think people understand the world as being more dangerous uh, I think they always understood it as being dangerous, but Trump really is, is putting a finer point on it. 
And, and a direct point. I mean, he's not glossing over evil. He's not glossing right, over our enemies. Right. What was it? Was it Madeleine Albright who didn't want to use the phrase rogue states or something? You know, she wanted to say states with whom we have honest differences. Or it was, it was some ridiculous uh, change in phraseology she wanted. Right. And, and, and Trump's willing to call that out. And to be clear, when, you know, when we think about danger, this is a war. This is a war going on against America and Trump. Here you have an American president who's willing to stand up for American interests. Well, don't be surprised when that happens if other people are going to put their own fine point on it, okay. whether it's the Russians or the Chinese or Antifa here in the United States or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or whatever radical you know, leftist elements exist both at home and abroad mm -hmm. who mean mm -hmm. to make war against the United States, and specifically Trump. There is a political war going on against Trump. One of my colleagues, Richard Higgins, who was at the NSC, uh, wrote this memo, you might recall, to Trump, explaining yeah. that political war back, back during the summer, and uh, promptly got <laughs> fired from the National Security Council when he did. But in there, he outlined the fact that there was a political war going on where the left is trying to delegitimize in a systematic way Trump, his agenda, and his supporters. And you can see that operating on a multitude of levels. Right. And the media feeds right into it. All right, before we get to the, uh, the opposition and the perception, let's talk about the reality. Um, you were a Trump supporter before I was. You helped talk me into it, you and my son, into supporting Trump. Uh, and then the more I saw, the more I liked, actually. There were a few things that, you know, bothered me, uh, as I suppose bothered everybody. But uh, I'm fully supportive of him uh, in the sense that I, you know, I'm glad he's president, want him to stay as president, have no regrets about voting for him. Um, I, I look at it this way, you know, when people ask me why, I said, look what he promised. He said, you know, that he'd get the economy moving. My gosh, is there any question about that? I think even liberals concede that. He said he'd do something about the border. We're in the midst of that debate about immigration, DACA, wall, etc. But we know the numbers coming in have gone down. Uh, he's built a rhetorical wall, if nothing else. Um, he said he'd take on ISIS. He's taken on ISIS. There's still more work to be done, right? He said he'd appoint a, a, a conservative to the Supreme Court. He did. And somebody pointed out to me the other day, don't just look at the Supreme Court. Look at the circuit courts. Even more important, more consequential, 20 or 30 solid conservative appointments there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and other things. Um, he said he would reverse the direction of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. He sure has done that. Uh, and, and, and he's tried to take apart a lot of the Obama, Obama regulations. The things that uh, he said he would address... He has addressed, and he has gotten somewhere on most of those big ones. With almost no help. He's done that. Oh, fulfill that in. Well, with almost, I mean, look, Trump committed to do that. You're quite right. He committed to do that. He's done it. But where are the Republicans in Washington helping him? Where are the Well, they helped him with get taxes. Well, yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, quite right, because... They had talked about taxes for years and years, and they hadn't gotten that done with Trump. Now they've gotten it done. That's good. But 
that's that was late in the year on something that they thought they had to do. But his broader agenda that you described, there's not, I mean, the Republicans have been going along kicking and screaming. They haven't really been a fulsome voice. You, you know, like people like Jeff Flake are constantly oh, yeah, out there doing, doing the moral so, preening but, but as me, if, as if, you know, <laughs> Trump doesn't live up to every expectation of his. Let me take issue with you, though. I'll just take the things that I've, I've brought up. They were certainly supportive of Neil Gorsuch and got behind that. You know, Senate had to, had to consent, uh, <clears throat> advising consent. Um, they've been supportive of his efforts against ISIS, the Republicans, right? The tax thing we just we just talked about. They're divided on the whole immigration thing, right? But there's a good substantial number of them that are, you know, with Trump on this. We'll see how we'll see how thing, how things come out. Um, but but you, you know Washington quite yes. well. Do you really think those Republican senators, in their heart of hearts, want him to succeed? Or Not was- even the devil himself knows the heart of man. Well, no, but I think Bill Bennett does. He sees it all the time. Yeah, but Bill. I, I yeah, no, I know. No, they're it's kind of holding their breath, and the members of Congress are looking at November, and yeah, you know, there's there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of security. They're, 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 they're timid, right? There's also just a radical change. They just are having trouble getting used to this guy. And they thought that he'd settle into office and he'd become more conventional. There were some stories in the press about three, four weeks ago saying, oh, he's become a conventional president now. Whoops, nope. Then again, he he breaks out of it. I think he is who he is. You know, what was that line Conor Cruz O'Brien made of Edmund Burke? He has a gift of always being who he is. Uh, and, uh, and, and so does Trump. Does he get, well, since we're on that, and I want to come back to, you know, real and substantial issues, but does he get in his own way? Uh, you know, with the tweets and the, the the language and all that. No, you don't. You don't think so. No, Why not? I, I, you think I, the tweets and all help? I think they help. The tweets are a method of him establishing in the media a voice that they simply cannot silence. And if you actually look at those tweets in a systematic way, they're pretty good and informative, and they shock and outrage the conventional media, the mainstream media. But they're going to be shocked at anything he writes. I think the tweets have been a very effective method. And God bless him for doing it, and he should keep doing it. And I, yep. think, I think that's, a, that's an important part of his message. You know, there's a, there's a certain, first of all, there's getting used to, and the members of the Republican establishment and Democrats have to get used to. American people do, too. But I was thinking of an imaginary campaign ad for 2018, which is to take some sort of standard... A boilerplate uh, speechifying by presidents or proclamations. Put those up on the screen and then put a couple of of, uh, Trump's tweets and say, do you really want to go back to this other stuff? Don't you like being talked to directly uh, as a man or a woman? Yeah, Yeah. like an an adult, as if if he could talk to them. A breath of fresh air. If people really sit down and think, do they really want to go back to the conventional politics? I don't think so. Plus, there's some really interesting things stirring. You've always pointed out to me the... uh, uh, the work of Joel Kotkin and, and Joel Farkas has as well. Uh, a very recent article by Kotkin, maybe we can put a link up on the, on the site, says the, the ways in which the economy is improving are very interesting, but, uh, but it, it, there's like a feedback loop. And Trump states are doing so much better than blue states. Texas now doing so much better than California that um, the people who believe and what he's saying and are practicing what he's preaching 
are really reaping the benefits and rewards. And boy, isn't that good news uh, for Americans. Uh, those states are doing well, but, you know, even, uh, you know, I live in California uh, most of the time, and there's even articles now in the Los Angeles Times about how California is the poverty capital of the yeah. country. Yeah. So in the LA Times, they're now talking about, you know, why is California mm-hmm. the poverty mm-hmm. capital? Capital, because they know they're not getting uh, Californians aren't going to be able to deduct as many of their state and local taxes as they used to. So it's hitting them in the pocket. Uh, they see Californians, the smart ones see that people in these other states are doing better. And so they're now going to wonder, are we going to be left behind? Yeah. Is California going to yeah. have its wealth taken by all these people who are moving to the state simply to be on their very generous welfare programs? Yeah. So in that regard, there's even a, you talk about a feedback loop, there's even people questioning liberalism more broadly I think in both California and New York, yeah. wondering if in this big growth economy, those states aren't going to be left behind. Yeah, we've had some great conversations with your colleague at American Strategy Group, Joel Farkas, about right. this. Right, no, Joel is an expert this, yeah. And they've been very valuable, and the audience has loved them. Well, let me ask you this as a kind of wrap-up question. Um, you think, against the conventional wisdom, you think he's doing better in foreign affairs than most people do. Uh, he has been successful, and the world is, is always a dangerous place, but he's made our situation better. Against the conventional wisdom, uh, you believe that he's been a successful president. Uh, against the conventional wisdom, you believe the tweets are positive and good, and he doesn't get his own way. i got to ask you this. It's the obvious question. What about these approval ratings? You think they're bunkum, too? I do. Okay. Well, at least you're consistent. I am consistent. Tell yeah, me why they're bunkum. First <laughs> well, of all, is, you know, I, I look at real clear politics, which is a kind of Bible for these polls. Sure. And for like 11 weeks running, the Rasmussen poll has had Trump going up to like the high 40s, mid 40s, and disapproval mid 50s or lower 50s. Meanwhile, Gallup has got, you know, he's got him at 34 and approval in 62, you know, disapproval. So that suggests some problem with the polling anyway. But tell me why they're both. Well, I think there's problem with the polling, but I also think Americans are a free people who are out there living their lives. And they're watching Alabama football. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking about, you know, what's, gonna, what's going on in, the, in their own lives. They let, don't, me inter- let me interrupt yeah. you. The Alabama football, when he stepped on that field, did you see that opening, that roar of the crowd? And it was a roar of approval because he's in Trump country. Alabama and Georgia, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't have asked for a more Trump, more Trump final than uh, <laughs> I would have been if it had been USC and UMass. Well, that would have been unlikely. Yeah, anyway, right, right, USC's yeah. not so Yeah, bad. if USC and UMass ever play for the national championship, right. it'll be the end of the UMass world. UMass almost beat somebody major this year. Remember that? It'll be the end of the world. Anyway, go ahead. Fin- fin- well, look, look, how much thought. courage yeah. did it take for him, by the way, to walk on that field? We're a very divided country right now. He walks out there with his head held high with those, you know, servicemen. That took amazing courage. Just knowing that there's no. going to be also booze. Oh, there's no, also no, going to no, be First, booze when you walk out with servicemen, you're not going to have a crowd well, in Georgia boo you. 
because they wouldn't want to be thought, to, you know. No, Plus, fair, fair plus, enough. But I mean, the look, audience. He knows how many? But, oh, come on. I just so often. I'll walk out to feel the Yankee Stadium. That's what I'm waiting for. He'll do it. He'll do it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. No, he'll do it. Uh, look, I think most Americans, back to your other question, they're living their lives. They don't think about you know Trump up or down any given day. Are Americans really reading those tweets very often? Probably not. They, they don't have to think about it. They voted for Trump, and now they're enjoying the benefits of what he's done for the economy. You know, political junkies like us, we're looking all yeah. the times at these yeah. things. Yeah. Americans are not, so I don't, I don't buy okay. that. I don't buy that he's down. Do you, do you think the average Trump voter studies real clear politics? As, no. great, as great a website as it is, it's no. done by friends of ours, and it's super. I go to it every day. No. But the, <laughs> plugs everywhere. Right. No, but they're not going to real clear politics. They're living their lives, and they're, they're enjoying the benefits right. of, of, of freedom and all the good things Trump's doing for them. And so I, I don't buy for a minute that Trump is you know, not doing well in the public mind. And the mainstream media has every interest in reinforcing yeah. the meme that he's unpopular when, in fact, they know the exact opposite. I just I was thinking, I, I told you early on, uh, one of my favorite things that he did early on was when he said he wasn't going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And I saw president after president, Republican, Democrat go and say, oh, you're so great. You're such a wonderful group and so great to be. And then they'd get up and trash the president and you know, give awards for people who wrote the worst, nastiest things, you know, right there in the presence of the president. And then he, what, a couple of days ago, gives out these fake awards, fake news awards. He, he doesn't care. You were a surrogate for Trump at the convention and afterwards. What, what else do you want to say about him that people don't hear or don't appreciate after a year? You know, I, I, I actually think most people look at Trump, most real Americans look at Trump, and they know he loves the country. And by extension, he loves them. When they hear him called a racist, they don't buy it. He's working hard for them. And I think that part of it's transparent. Yeah. And that's very encouraging to me. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know Donald Trump. But I know that he's out there fighting for me as an American, and he's willing to defend the American interest in that America first kind of way, that alone is encouraging to citizens that a president would look first to them and what's good for them and pray that he keeps it up, yeah. that he gets more support, yeah. and that the organized political class in this country mm -hmm looks at him more seriously than they have in the past and sees him worthy of their support okay. for all the for all the good that he's done and for all the good that he's going to do. Great. All right. We'll get some mail on this. This is great. Thank you very much. Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy. By the way, the American Strategy Group giving out Trump bonuses to its employees. I'm just curious. As an employee of the you American know, Strategy it, it, Group. I, that's a great idea. It is a great idea. I say so myself. <laughs> you and I sitting here, we're both employees. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Brian Kennedy. Thanks Thank you, Bill. Much. Great to be with you. All right. We have to leave it there. Another great show in the books. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Please continue to spread the word about the Bill Bennett Show.